This audio presentation is brought to you by the Baptist Missionary Association Theological Seminary. The BMA Seminary provides accredited theological education for equipping God's people for Christ-centered service and leadership roles with three online degrees available now. We are committed to the inerrancy and authority of Holy Scripture and to making disciples of Jesus Christ. For more information about the BMA Seminary and its online degree programs, Go to bmats.edu or call toll-free 800-259-5673. That's 800-259-5673. Good morning. Uh, It is an honor to be here in the last uh, chapel uh, service. Uh, For those that don't know me, my name is Christian Martinez. I'm uh, coming from Mexico City and... Uh, my wife is um, from Romania, who have been married for uh, 10 months. Now we're expecting a, a baby. So we're going to have a Mexican, Romanian, and uh, an American at home, pretty international uh, family. So this is uh, the last uh, chapel service, and you, you may expect a, a sermon of uh, joy, but actually this uh, ceremony is going to be about confession of sin, uh, repentance, the need of God's forgiveness, which is going to lead us to true, true joy and true um, celebration of our God. So, um, if, you, if you can turn your Bibles to Psalm 51. And Psalm 51... Um, is found in book two of the five-book division in the book of Psalms. In this section, the number of Psalms of Lament is predominant. Psalm 51 to 66 are all Psalms of David. Van German traced a common theme of the experience of evil in the Davidic Psalms 51 to 64. In Psalms uh, 52 to 64, David laments the evil that came from his situation, or mainly from his enemies. You can read in the superscriptions at the top of each of these psalms. For example, um, read at the at top of 52 in the superscription. You will see a masculine of David when Dog the Edomite came and told Saul, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. Then on top of 54, you will see a masculine of David when the Sifites um, went and told Saul, is not David hiding among us? And then on top of 56, it says, according to the dove of far off, Terbits, uh, Mictam of David, when the Philistines seize him in Gath. So you, you can see there um, the, the experience of evil in, in David's life. Uh, so David had many enemies. Some of his enemies were from other nations. Others were from within his own nation, like King Saul. Others were even from his own family, like his son, his son Absalom, when he was uh, persecuting him. Now, when we come to Psalm 51, the enemy is even closer. The enemy in Psalm 51 is David's own sin. It is his own sin that David is lamenting in this psalm. Now, the situation of the psalm is found in the superscription when... Um, then on top of Psalm 51, when Nathan, the prophet, went to him 
after he had gone into Bathsheba. The context we, we read it in is, is found in Second Samuel chapters 11 and 12. In chapter 11, we have the account of David's sin. He failed to be a good leader of God's people because he remained in Jerusalem while every, everyone else went to the battle against the Ammonites. Then he saw from the roof of his house a woman bathing. He desired her. And he sent messengers to take her, knowing that she was the wife of Uriah, one of his most faithful warriors. He got her pregnant, and then he planned the death of her husband in order to get away with his sin. The sin of David displeased the Lord, and after the baby was born, the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to confront David for his sin. Nathan began telling a story of a rich man who had very many flocks and herds, but when a traveler came to him, Instead of taking one of his own lambs, the rich man took the only lamb of a poor man that lived in the same city and prepared for the man who had come to him. Then when David was hearing this, it says that then David's anger greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who had done this deserved to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold. Because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. That's 2 Samuel 12, 5-7. Now what a dangerous thing it is to sit under the preaching of the word and the study of the scriptures and not being convicted with our sin. It is a dangerous thing to be in church and be comfortable when we have unconfessed sin in our hearts, it is dangerous when we first start thinking about other sinners, when we listen to a sermon or even when we prepare a sermon. Uh, as, as David heard the prophet Nathan, he, he was first feeling comfortable with his sin by condemning the sin of others. Maybe as you hear this story, you feel comfortable while you think, how could David do something like that? Today God speaks to us the same message. You are the man. You are the woman. Nathan told David that he had despised the word of the Lord in 2 Samuel 12, 9. And by despising the word, he had despised God himself. 2 Samuel 12, 10. Maybe you did not commit adultery or murder, but in the same way as David, we despise the word of the Lord and the Lord himself. When we're not satisfied in Him and seek pleasure somewhere else or have unthankful hearts for all of His blessings. We must confess our sin to God. We desperately need God's forgiveness. When David was comforted, confronted by the prophet Nathan, he confessed, I have sinned against the Lord, 2 Samuel 12, 13, and he was immediately forgiven. Therefore, Psalm 51 was probably written after he was forgiven. As a reflection of the need of God's forgiveness. Then this psalm is not only a, a confession of sin. But a reflection on the need of God's forgiveness. We desperately need God's forgiveness. The psalm answers the questions. How can we obtain God's forgiveness? And why do we need God's forgiveness so desperately? In verses 1 and 2. We can see that we can only obtain God's forgiveness if we appeal to his merciful nature. David acknowledged that he could not find any reason to be forgiven other than God's merciful nature. David could not justify himself because 
um, before God because he was a sinner from birth. In, we can see that in verse 5. And God did not delight in external sacrifices that David could offer. That's in verse 16. William Plummer writes that without God's mercy, his power would destroy us. His wisdom confound us. His justice condemn us. His majesty affright us. But by his mercy, all these turn to our good. David knew God to be a compassionate God, who is faithful to his covenant. In verse 1 and 2, David appeals to God's graciousness or mercy, which is showing favor, usually the, the bestowal of redemption from enemies. You can read, um, David prays, have mercy on me, verse 1, O God, according to your steadfast love. Then he says, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. So he appeals to God's loving kindness or steadfast love, which is God's loving disposition to do acts of kindness. And to God's compassion, he says, um, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Then verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my sin and cleanse me from my sin. So this compassion or abundant mercy, it's God's affectionate sympathy, especially in the relationship of a parent to, to a child. Now the three descriptions are pronounced in a way matching to Yahweh's self-description at Mount Sinai in Exodus 34, 6. In this way, David is asking God to act in accordance with that self-revelation. If we appeal to God's mercy as the only basis for our forgiveness, we can ask like David to, um, to be forgiven from our transgressions, which are rebellious acts, our iniquity, departing from God's standard, and sin, missing the mark. David uses also three illustrations for God's act of forgiving sin. First, David asks God to blot out his transgressions. Big states that transgressions stain people, blackening their reputation and character. Therefore, blot out, wipe out, obliterate, so that they no longer can be seen. Second, David asks God to wash him thoroughly. This verb is more for washing clothes with water. As God cleans all the sinner's field away. Third, David asked God to purify him. This is a reference to the ritual of purification, probably a figure of substitution. Though David did not perform an actual ritual on this occasion, he was comparing God's forgiveness with the ritual. The New Testament clarifies that the only perfect sacrifice of purification and the perfect substitute for sinners is Jesus Christ. Only through faith in him, and his substitutionary death, we can obtain God's mercy, merciful forgiveness, and complete cleansing. We must not try to hide our transgressions, iniquity, and sin, but examine ourselves deeply with the word of, of God. Do not just do a superficial examination. I remember uh, when my wife and I got married, and we moved to, to one of the, the apartments uh, here, um, I was ready to move all the, all the furniture in, and my wife said, no, uh, stop. We need, we need to do first uh, serious cleaning. And when she says serious, it is, it is serious. It means serious. <laughs> so we clean every corner, and, and I complain a couple times because it seemed an exaggeration to me. She even wanted to clean behind the kitchen cabinets. But when I removed all the cabinets, I found a dead rat 
<laughs> laying there. So I had to admit that she was right in doing a deep cleaning. Um, but when we treat with something uh, more important, like our hearts, we cannot be superficial when we examine ourselves. You may find a dead rat that has been laying for years behind the cabinets of your heart. So this takes us to the second question. Why do we need God's forgiveness so desperately? We'll see that in verses 3 through 6. In verses 1 and 2, we saw that David focused on the nature of God. Now in verses 3 through 6, he focuses on the nature of sin. A true confession must have these two elements. A meditation on the nature of God and a meditation on the nature of our sin. Now the first characteristic of our sin is that sin is personal. Okay? No one else but myself is guilty for my sin. We cannot blame our circumstances, other people around us. Now it is our nature to, to blame others and especially our wives or husbands. Now let's think of uh, Adam and Eve. When they seen in the Eden, and God called Adam to, to ask him uh, if he had eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what was his response? It, it was the woman. It was the woman that you gave me. Then God went to Eve, and what was her response? It was the serpent that deceived me. If we want to confess sin to God, we need to stop blaming our circumstances, other people, our wives, and Satan. We like to excuse ourselves by saying, Satan is so clever and he deceived me again. When David confessed his sin, he said, verse 3, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. The second characteristic of sin is that sin is very serious. Sin is very serious because the person we offend is God himself. David had sin against Bathsheba, against Uriah. And against the whole nation of Israel as a representative of them. But David knew that the guilt of his sin was crushing him because it was ultimately against God. He confessed in verse 4, against you, you only have I seen and done what is evil in your sight. The third characteristic of sin is that it deserves the righteous judgment of God. David prays in the second part of um, Verse 4, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. When we read it in connection um, with, with the first part of the verse, it sounds confusing. It sounds as if he's saying, I did what is evil so that you may be justified. But Alan Ross explains that this problem is resolved if we read the second part of the verse as an explanation of the first part, assuming there is an ellipsis here. So he would be saying, I say these things that you may be just. He confessed his sin so that God would decide his case. And whatever God decided, he would accept as right. William Plummer comments that God's throne would have been spotless in pronouncing the sentence of everlasting banishment from his presence. This is the, the idea here. Now the Apostle Paul quoted this verse in Romans 3, 4. When he was teaching about the faithlessness and faithfulness of Israel, the Israelites were given the promises and entrusted the word of God. They were chosen to represent God in this earth, but they failed to do it. And instead of bringing glory to God, they caused the name of God to be blasphemed among the nations. 
In spite of all these, Paul, Paul said that the faithfulness, the faithlessness of God's people does not nullify the faithfulness of God. He said, let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. God remains faithful even when his people are not. But as God's people, it is a responsibility to represent God in this world. Now, sin is not only personal, serious, and deserving of God's righteous judgment, but it is in our very nature from birth. This reality makes us see even more how desperately we need God's forgiveness. When David said in verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He was not referring here to his mother's sin in order to excuse himself. Here John Calvin wrote that David here refers to original sin with a view of aggravating his guilt, acknowledging that he had not contracted this or that sin for the first time lately, but had been born into the world with the seed of every iniquity. This is the idea that we are not sinners because we sin, but we sin because we are sinners. We're inclined to do sin from birth, just as a sea turtle desires to go to the water after it came out of the egg. David knew that God, uh, what God desired. We can see that in verse uh, 6. It says, Behold, you delight in truth, in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. He knew that God created him and created humanity um, for, for a purpose of representing him, his holiness. But he observed that humanity's nature and inclinations of the flesh were completely contrary with God's desire. So how desperately we need God's forgiveness. Now when we see God's expectations contrasted with the nature of sin, we realize that obtaining God's forgiveness requires more than appealing to God's merciful nature. We must also trust in God's power. If God was only, only merciful, but not having the authority and power to forgive, we would be hopeless. But in verse 7, David trusts that if God purchases him with hyssop, he shall be clean. If God washes him, there is no doubt that he shall be whiter than snow. So this is the, brings us to, to the, um, here, God, God is powerful to forgive and restore a sinner uh, completely. He is powerful to make a clean and joyful saint out of an unclean, crushed sinner. He is powerful to create a new heart in us. Here, Ross writes that it is not enough to ask forgiveness. There must be a change of heart, uh, revitalized spirit, or the sinner will do it again. Plummer writes that David was not asking to have his nature improved, but renewed, not amended, but created anew. Only the one who created the world out of nothing can create a new heart out of an unclean. It requires power. Paul said in Romans 1 that the gospel is the power of salvation for everyone who believes. Only if we acknowledge our inability to, that, to do that which God requires, confess our sin in brokenness, and trust in Jesus Christ in whose life God is pleased, trust in his powerful death and resurrection, we are saved. The gospel is powerful to create new hearts. We do not need to manipulate people 
or attract them with worldly methods. Let's present them the powerful gospel. Those whom he, whom he saved, he's also powerful to sustain by his spirit. Now, do you often think how dependent, how dependent you are of the Holy Spirit? I have noticed that many Baptists have tried to avoid falling in the error of charismatic teachers that put great emphasis in the Holy Spirit and often attribute to him things that do not pertain to him. We must not disregard the Holy Spirit in our attempts to preach Christ-centered messages. We need the Holy Spirit to sustain us. Plummer describes the importance of the Holy Spirit. He is the author of the Holy Scripture and of all holiness in the heart of man. If He leaves us, we are undone. All our offerings without the Holy Ghost are an offense to God. All our efforts to reach the heaven of eternal rest without the heavenly sanctifier and comforter are unavailing. No mental and moral culture secures the growth of right principles and affections without his efficiency. For no blessing is a good man more earnest in supplication than for the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. Now when David prays here, and do not take your Holy Spirit uh, from me, it can well refer to the operative role of the Holy Spirit. Remember that in the Old Testament, uh, before the Pentecost, the Holy Spirit would come on certain individuals in order to empower them to do God's work. Uh, for example, when King Saul was anointed as king, the Spirit of God came upon him and empowered him to lead God's people. When he was rejected as king of Israel, the Spirit departed from him and came upon David when he was anointed as the future king of Israel. So David knew that disobedience made King Saul be removed from the office of kingship. David knew that he deserved to be removed as well. And therefore asked God to uh, take not the Holy Spirit that allowed him to rule uh, God's people. So believers in Christ cannot lose the presence of the Holy Spirit. We are promised to have the Holy Spirit as a seal or warranty of the promise. Nevertheless, we could be disqualified from pastoring or ministering God's people if we do not guard our morality. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.27, But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. Paul was not talking about his salvation, but about his ministry. We have a great responsibility to, to lead God's people in holiness. We cannot lose our salvation that was once given by God's grace, but we may lose the opportunity to minister God's people. We may lose the joy of our salvation. We may contrive the Holy Spirit with unconfessed sin in our hearts. With forgiveness, there is a restored joy, and we enjoy God as we once enjoyed Him. Now, the last point, um, we ask again, why do we need God's forgiveness so desperately. And, and we see in, in the last uh, verses, 13 through 19, that we desperately need God's forgiveness so that we can be useful for His service. Only a sinner that has confessed his sin before God and has been completely forgiven can be useful for God's service. Only a forgiven sinner can teach others about God's forgiveness worship God rightly, and intercede for God's people. Of course, an unrepentant sinner can do all these things. He can do outwardly all these things, 
Uh, we can do outwardly all these things that we learn in seminary, like preaching, evangelism, singing, prayer. But it would only be hypocritically, like the Pharisees that Jesus compared with the white tombs that are so adorned in the outside, but are, but are deaf and filthy in the inside. Of such service, God is not pleased. But a forgiven sinner can truly teach transgressors. We see that in verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. He can teach because he has experienced God's forgiveness. He can worship God rightly. We see verses 14 through 15. He says, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. He can worship God rightly because he do not only desire to worship God doing the right things, but also having the right attitude when, when he worships. We see that in verse uh, 16. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I will give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. So God seeks true worshipers, those who worship him in, in spirit and in truth. So not only is a forgiven sinner useful in teaching sinners God's ways and worshiping God rightly, but he's also useful in interceding for God's people. Now David, in the last two verses, he intercedes for the prosperity of Zion and Jerusalem. Now many believe here that the last two verses that talk about the building of the walls of Jerusalem were added later during the time of the building um, of Jerusalem's walls led by Nehemiah. This we cannot know for certain, but if David here is speaking as a representative of Israel, then he's not referring to literal walls, but he's referring to the moral defense of the king and of the nation. Alan Ross explains that a strong wall does not lead to pure worship. As we see the connection here with uh, verse 19, that right uh, sacrifices will, will be offered. So it is best to think of the walls um, as Israel's moral defense. So God's work of spiritual renewal would enable the people to worship correctly. If forgiven people can, in, um, can intercede for God's people, we must do it. Christians must intercede for their families and their churches. It is our responsibility. But now what things can we, can we pray about whenever we intercede? We must pray for the moral defense of ourselves, our families, our churches, so that we can offer a spiritual sacrifice that is pleasing to God. So we may pray for um, sometimes for physical protection, but it is of foremost importance that we pray for our moral defenses. Christians throughout history have been able to offer pleasing worship to God even in the middle of persecution. Paul is a great example of this. He worshiped in abundance and in poverty. He worshiped when he was in freedom and also when he was in prison. Uh, he took care of his moral defense and he called the, the Ephesians to put on the full armor of God. We desperately need God's forgiveness if we want to be useful for God's service. Now you, you may ask, if a Christian has already been forgiven by Christ, do we need to confess our sin with the same urgency as David? We, we do. Believers have been forgiven in Christ 
But our repentance and faith is not, something, is not just something from the past. Believers are secure in Christ, but it is not like a ticket to heaven. Until we go to heaven, we need to keep trusting, keep looking to Christ, keep acknowledging God's mercy, keep acknowledging our inability to live according to God's standards. Keep trusting God's power to wash us completely. Stay humble. Exalt the Savior. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we acknowledge our inability to do what is pleasing to you, God. Um, you delight in righteousness. You delight in that which is true and uh, right and holy. And God, we many times despise your word in the same way that David took your word lightly. And by doing that, he despised you. He took you uh, lightly. He was not satisfied in you after receiving the promises, after uh, being led by you to be the, the king over Israel, after receiving the, the promises of um, his throne to endure forever and bringing the Savior from his seed. Even in all that, he was not satisfied. And God, many times uh, we're not satisfied in you and we look uh, to other things to satisfy our flesh. And God, we ask for forgiveness for, of, of our sins. God, we need you uh, desperately. It is in our nature to do what is not pleasing to you. It is our inclination to do wickedness. And we need you, God. We not only need your mercy, but we need your power. Uh, we need your power to create a new heart in us. We need a new heart um, that is obedient, uh, a new heart that loves you above all things, that does not treat you lightly, God. And God, I pray that if um, there's somebody here probably that has committed um, the sin of adultery or um, God, the sin of uh, murder, God, I pray that they would find forgiveness in the blood of Christ Jesus, God, and those who have not, I pray that we would not try to uh, excuse ourselves, thinking that our sin is not so serious, but that we would uh, confess it immediately to you and rest in your forgiveness and salvation. God, I pray that uh, you would guard our hearts so that we would not be disqualified from your service, God, that we would lead your people in holiness and righteousness, God, use us and help us to trust in the power of the gospel that brings salvation. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.